This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today we're talking about culturally responsive teaching. What's that? Ha- what does that have to do with reading, you say? Well, everything has to do with everything. So, let's jump into it. What is culturally responsive teaching? Or culturally re- relevant pedagogy? Or culturally sustaining pedagogy? These are all names for this thing. But what exactly is it? People talk about it. It seems incredibly important. It's mentioned in books and articles that I read. And it's said to be very, very, very important. So I want to use critically responsive teaching in my teacher education courses. And I want my students to be able to use culturally responsive teaching in their future elementary classrooms. So what specific strategies should I learn and use? Please somebody tell me. So I was initially going to start my podcast with that little thing that I just said to you. That's because I used to think that culturally responsive teaching was simply a bunch of teaching strategies. Similar to cooperative learning, these strategies would have specific directions for their implementation. And if I just learn these strategies and attach them to my educating machine, then I would be a culturally responsive teacher. And I could teach my teacher candidate students to attach these strategies to their future educating machines so that they would all be culturally responsive teachers. And over time, the grand educating machine would spew forth well-educated students who all scored above average on standardized tests and systemic racism would be cured. Amen. Well, I was just a little right, but mostly wrong. So let me explain. Give you a little context. After the murder of George Floyd, I, avoid to, uh, I vowed to do everything that I could, that I could, I, me, to address systemic racism. However, I needed to swim in my own lane and focus just on education. So the first step was to get a better understanding of systemic racism. As a scholar, I did what scholars do when trying to understand phenomena. I looked for journal articles. Of course I did. And if it's not described in a journal article, it doesn't exist, yes? So I spent three months reading every academic book and journal article I could find on systemic racism in the education system. Now, if something is systemic, it means it's all over the system. Racism is an infection within all our various systems, social, justice, legal, political, economic, and yes, the educational system. Systemic racism is not the same as racist acts, however. Racist acts are acts of hatred, bigotry, and intimidation, or violence perpetuated by individuals or groups based on race. In contrast, systemic racism are the policies, the laws, the regulations, and the traditions that restrict or disadvantage people of color while promoting or create an advantage for those who are in power, who happen to be overwhelmingly members of the dominant white culture. And systemic racism is insidious 
because it's often unseen. It's like a bit of poison in the water tank. Now, one of the effects of systemic racism in our educational system is the disproportionate numbers of students of color who are caught up in the special education system or who are involved in school discipline or and who are sucked into the school-to-prison pipeline. Systemic racism is also evident in the curriculum, the teaching practices, and the methods of assessment used throughout the education system. These overwhelmingly reflect a white Eurocentric perspective. This in turn creates an invisible bubble of cultural superiority in which the values and views and language and practices that reflect this perspective, this white Eurocentric perspective, are seen as, quote, normal, unquote. And anything that doesn't reflect this mythical normal is seen as deviant or deficient. The result of this is that students of color are often seen through the lens of deficiency. Which brings me back to the purpose of this podcast. I wanted to understand exactly what culturally responsive teaching was so that I could use it in my teacher preparation courses. My goal was to be able to teach my students to use culturally responsive teaching in their future classes. In my quest to understand culturally responsive teaching, I wanted a nice and tidy one-sentence definition. I wanted to be able to put it in my dominant cultural microscope and evaluate it through my white gaze lens. I wanted it to be like the dead butterfly in my high school biology class, killed with ethyl acetate and pinned to a piece of white styrofoam so I could analyze it. That's what I wanted. Yep, yep, yep. So, I started my dead butterfly search by asking one of my very knowledgeable colleagues what culturally responsive teaching was. And she said, listening to your students and using that as a basis for teaching. I like that. It sounded a lot like student-centered teaching. And it also resonated with my work as a holistic educator. I also wanted some dead butterfly quotes from recognized authors to put in this podcast. That way people would think I really, really knew what I was talking about. So I found three. Geneva Gay said culturally responsive teaching is a means for unleashing the higher learning potentials of ethnically diverse students by simultaneously cultivating their academic and psychosocial abilities. Good stuff. Who could possibly disagree with something like that? Gloria Ladson Billings, one of my favorite writers in this area, defined culturally responsive teaching as a pedagogy that recognizes the importance of including students' cultural references in all aspects of learning. Again, sounds great but I was still a little fuzzy on the details. What exactly should I do? What are the specific steps? So I found a third definition from a journal article by Cruz Manchina 
Firestone and Rodley. Culturally responsive teaching is a set of practices designed to build on students' cultural and linguistic backgrounds as teaching and learning occur. Okay, a set of practices, all well and good, but what are the specific practices? So then I went to the Google machine and I found a definition by educators team at an organization called Understood. And this is what they said. Culturally responsive teaching is a research-based approach that makes meaningful connections between what students learn in school and their cultures, languages, and life experiences. These connections help students access rigorous curriculum, develop higher level academic skills, and see the relevance between what they learn at school and their lives. Now, again, great definition. Great. Who could, terms like research-based and meaningful connections and rigorous curriculum and higher level academic skills are all words used to make a thing seem like a very good thing. And this seemed like a very good thing. How could anyone possibly think that these things were not very good things? But the problem remains that they are descriptors of what the end state should be. They described the what, but I was looking for the how. How should I do it? What exactly do I do in my class on Monday morning to be culturally responsive? So, I continued reading books and articles on culturally responsive teaching. I started taking notes and organizing them, looking for patterns. My plan was to create a literature review using an inverted triangle, going from general to specific as I'd been trained to do. This would enable the reader to clearly understand exactly what culturally responsive teaching was. And I was gonna cite the hell out of my article so that there could be no doubt that I absolutely knew what I was talking about. That was the plan. And I was going to do it using objective, emotionalist, sterilized, third-person language. Contractions and personal pronouns would be banned from this article. Adjectives, adverbs, and modifying verbs would be in very, very extremely short supply. But a curious thing happened on my way to the completion of my article on culturally responsive teaching. As I was writing, I was reading in parallel. This is a strategy I use where I read books and articles that are related to the topic I'm writing about. This seems to, this gives me added depth and perspective during the writing process. So as I was in the initial stages of writing an article on culturally responsive teaching, I was reading Geneva Gay's book, Culturally Responsive Teaching, theory, research, and practice. And I was on chapter four, culture and communication in the classroom, when I had one of those brick in the middle of the forehead types of realizations. I am part of the problem. In writing about culturally responsive teaching, I was doing exactly what isn't culturally responsive teaching or culturally responsive writing in this case. 
I was assuming that my way of coming to know the world, my way of understanding phenomena, and my way of explaining things was the way it should be. And since I believe at some level that I'm the best academic writer of all time, bias and delusions of grandeur noted, I assumed that I'd be able to create the correct description of culturally responsive teaching, one that would lead all who read my article to perfect understanding. My words would then rain down on a parched educational garden, providing the moisture necessary for all the culturally responsive flowers to poke their little green heads through the soil and blossom in culturally responsive ways. So, let's take a deep breath. This is the end of part one. In part two, I'll be looking at three interconnected elements of culturally responsive teaching.